0: Thank you, David. I want to say just a word before we get started in our text this morning. Um, as, as David read our text, will be, we will be continuing through the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. Um, but I just want to, uh, just a couple of comments as I've been um, praying and thinking about you. Um, you know, one of the things that... Uh, I have just been reminded of over and over uh, this week for some reason, um, is that we are closing in on uh, six months of this unusual time together. Um, Maybe it's because school is starting back up. Um, Miles, uh, my 13-year-old, said to me not too long ago, Hey, Dad, remember when everybody was saying this was going to be done by Easter? Uh, And uh, so... um, couple things to that. One is that I am reminded over and over again that uh, social distancing uh, in church, this is not how it's supposed to be. You know, that we look at in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and then we look at where it says don't forsake the gathering together. And as Paul is talking about that we're one body and we're one family, that this is not ideal. This is not the design. This is not a call to uh, reconvene next week. I long for that day. Uh, but it is a call. Uh, it means at least two things for me. One, it is a call that we really think through. Um, we are not uh, comfortable. This is not ideal. This is not what we want to be doing. But it also means that as the body of Christ at St. Mount Bible Church, we really need to dig in to love one another well, um, I want to reach back up to some verses that Gary preached on last week and uh, just read a couple things. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Um, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards to the magnified grace of God. Whoever speaks, do so. Who's speaking the utterance of God? Whoever serves, do so as one who's serving by the strength of God. And so what I just want to lay out is that... um, during these times, these sort of commandments, we've got to be more creative. <laughs> and, it, and it gets difficult. Um, the staff here is doing a great job. Um, uh, Ruby and BJ and Damon and Amy and Karen. Um, and we'll throw Gary in there. Uh, doing a great job of, of really trying to reach out, but it's, it's imperfect. It's not perfect. And we're constantly looking at ways to do better. But I also want to encourage us to practice the one another's. And be creative in how we do that. I know we've all got Zoom fatigue. But if that's what we're living with. That's what we're living with. So just want to encourage us to reach out. And to, to love one another well. The other thing that I just want to um, to say. I was uh, speaking with a couple of other pastors this week. And it was interesting. Um, as I brought up an uncomfortable subject. And to hear that uh, they had been discussing this at their church as well. Is that... um. When the day comes that I long for that we are able to reconvene, one of the prayers that I have is that um, we wouldn't have gotten so comfortable in uh, waking up at 10.50 in our jammies, getting a cup of coffee and tuning in to the live stream, uh, that that replaces the gathering of together because that's not ultimately God's design. I'm thankful that we get to do this, but... Um, This is not God's design, and we need to be together. And uh, I long for that day. I mean, uh, as as we pray for Jim Fickley, I miss Jim. (laughs) Uh, I I long for the day where he can hug me with no COVID concerns. Um, uh, I miss, as I was having dinner with a couple on Friday night, um, I asked them because they're in constant contact with Diane Cross. I miss seeing Diane, and uh, she's normally around here several times a week. I miss... Our people. Uh, And so. Just wanted to put that. Out there. Um, This morning. This morning. As we are. Digging into. First Peter. uh, We're starting a new. Section. um, But. As we start this new section. The theme is. Is a common theme. That is run. All throughout. First Peter. Peter. Um. Uh, he, he's going to challenge us once more about suffering and suffering um, for the name of Christ. And um, as I have been looking at these passages and uh, praying through these, one of the things that got brought to mind, many of you, several of you, as I've spoken with you over the phone or uh, that we've been able to speak in person, um, have mentioned that one of the things that God has been doing in your life um, kind of through the pandemic and through some of the messages, is um, really defining what it means to be, and this is the word that I've heard you know, on several occasions, defining what it means to be a Christ follower. And, and, and that's been interesting, and, and, and this has challenged me as I've thought through some of the conversations that I've, I've had with some of you. And, and one of the things that folks are doing in using this term, Christ follower... Is that they're making a distinction between um, a Christ follower and what I would label maybe a cultural Christian. A cultural Christian being someone, uh, and I think this is a uniquely American thing, um, who is 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 a Christian who is a Christian to be like part of a group that they're identifying with the culture of Christianity, and that this culture in America has been um, uh, winsome. Uh, and it has been acceptable. And so, within this cultural Christianity, the, the, some weird things kind of happen. Um, there begins to be this groupthink, and so ideas and concepts and things kind of come out of this group. You know, there's a Christian pop culture of magazines and articles and songs, and it becomes a part of this collective thing. It's It's not all bad. Another thing that I think happens in cultural Christianity is that sometimes, and you've heard me talk about this, that sometimes politics define Christianity more than Christianity defines one's politics, and so it becomes just kind of a, a way of life. I think what people have hit on, and they're right, and I think it's very biblical, is the difference between a cultural Christian and a Christ follower. A Christ follower meaning by these folks is someone who loves Jesus above everything. And that the desire of their heart is to devote themselves to him and his word. And their goal, the goal of their life, the goal of their being is to become more like him. Isn't it interesting that the term Christian used to, you know, Christians, we were given this name. Because we were considered little Christs. Now, part of this, part of this, the reason that I start here is that as Peter is jumping in once again and talking about suffering, as Peter talks about suffering, he identifies suffering in the life of, I'm going to use this word over and over, a Christ follower. That if we are following Christ, that we will suffer and there will be persecution that takes place. And the reason for this suffering, and you're going to see, we're going to go through many verses and we're going to see Peter's logic here. The reason for this suffering is that when we really step back and look at our culture and look at the world... If we are truly living to become more like Christ, if that is our aim and is that of our is our goal is to to be like Christ, we're going to find ourselves at odds with the culture because it's not the culture's aims. It's not the culture's goals to become more like Christ. And So what happens as these two groups intersect, there's going to be suffering and persecutions because we're at odds with With the culture as we're leaning on Christ, we don't fit in with the culture. And so today, once again, as Peter is taking this up. We're going to see, he's going to again point his readers into how can we be more like Christ. As Gary has put it over the past couple of weeks, how do we trace Christ in these situations? And I just want to point out, this is not a new theme. I want to point out just a couple of times in this letter where he mentions this in chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his footsteps. Again, in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. And then today, as we look at verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So, Paul is, uh, Peter, sorry, Peter, as he is writing this letter to this group of people in Asia Minor, one of the things that he is doing, and we've talked about this, is he is being very pastoral. He is preparing these people for the suffering that is to come. Some of it is already happening, but it's it's going to happen more. That Peter knows, he understands the culture around them, and he knows what is happening. He understands. That if they live as Christ would want them to live, that they're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at verse 4 of chapter 4. In all this, uh, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation and malign you, that you suffer. In chapter 3, it says uh, in verse 14, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Following Christ will put you at odds with the culture around you. Now this morning, this is not one of those difficult passages in uh, finding the logic and the flow and the meaning of the passage. It is a very easy passage to outline. So I'm going to give you the outline, and then what we're going to do... So the skeleton is easy, and then we're going to put the flesh... Uh, on the bones. So listening, listen as I read these verses. And I'm going to give you the very simple outline. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Which comes upon you for your testing. As though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing. So that. Also at the revelation of his glory. You may rejoice with exultation. And so the easy skeleton here, the, the picking all the clauses off of it, uh, Peter tells us this, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes. Don't be surprised when the persecution comes. Rather, Rejoice. I think in our culture, As an American Christian, and that's the only one that I, that's the only culture that I know well. I think a verse like this lands on us as very strange. I think far too often as an American in this culture, in this day and age, that we are surprised when persecution comes. And I think that when it comes, that instead of rejoicing, we have a great temptation to feel dejected. Hopeless. We tend to bellyache. (laughs) So I think that these are very, very important words for us. I think one of the reasons why we feel this way, is that in America, our Christianity is very cozy with the culture. We haven't faced much persecution. We haven't faced a a ton of suffering for being Christians, for being Christ followers. And so we've been comfortable. And and, and in a part of that, we need to rejoice that, that we live in a place to where that doesn't happen as much. But I think as Peter is giving these People, a warning, we need to hear the same warning as American Christians. I think far too often as American Christians, the reason that we are surprised when persecution comes is because in reality, our God is comfort. Our God is to be able to just get along and to not make waves. Um, If you haven't listened to... um, Uh, Jimmy Davis's uh, midweek on the mountain talk. I just want to pause and give a plug for that here. Go back and listen to that. He, He did a wonderful job on Wednesday night and talked about some of these idols and things that we lean on and how God is gracious in helping us remove those. If you think about it, we are called to Christ to be salt and light to our culture. To the people around us. We are to be a witness. We are to be people of the gospel. We are to be a people who stand on God's truth. We are to be a people who proclaim. That man's biggest problem is his sin problem. And that that the, the, the solution for that is found only in Jesus Christ. And we live in a world that is opposed to the gospel message and that is opposed uh, to the message that we are sinners in need of a Savior. I I saw something that just warmed my heart this week and it also challenged me. And and I'm not going to name names uh, because I want to investigate it a little more and see how it goes. But there was a very popular um, uh, evangelist. He is uh, very big in the prosperity gospel movement, and he, um, I read an article which he was repenting of some of, the, of, some of his uh, theology and some of the outworkings of some of his theology, and, and so I went and uh, uh, YouTubed the sermon where this happened, and what I found was a man, just young man, just weeping in tears. And what, what God had convicted him of, what God had convicted him of, was that this teaching that, has, that is pervasive in America, that you come to Christ and nothing bad will ever happen to you. That it wasn't the gospel. It wasn't the full gospel. And, and what he was saying as he had had was on a beach and was witnessing to a group of young people is he realized that They needed to be convicted of their sin to see their need of a savior and that that was the gospel message. And one of the things that I thought as I was hearing him and he was just weeping in tears of of just looking at how he needed to change how he did things, I got convicted myself in saying, Lewis, you believe this, but do you live this out in the world? As I was preparing for this message, I thought about how little opposition there was in my life from the world. And is that a direct correlation because I'm not loving my neighbor well enough? To let them know what the gospel says. So as we head into this, as we look at this, and one of the things, if I had a relationship Um, with this man that was coming to this, I would tell him, hey, listen, don't be caught off guard because some within your church, when you're preaching the gospel, the gospel message, and you're really trying to follow Christ, there are going to be some of the cultural Christians in your church who are going to still look at that other and you're going to come under attack from taking the right stand. And don't be surprised. And as Peter is telling us here, beloved, do not be surprised. In order for us to get this message, we have to have a right and sober view of our situation. Or this text makes no sense. In 2nd Timothy, chapter three, verse twelve. It reads this way. All who desire... All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. First John, chapter three, verse 13, you all are probably familiar with this verse. Do not be surprised when the world hates you. And as I have quoted so often during our time in first Peter, that Jesus told us that if the world hates me, the world will hate you. Following Christ means that we are in opposition to the culture around us. The folks who Peter was writing to. In just a few years after this letter was circulated all around Asia Minor. uh, One of the things that happened is that Nero uh, burned the city of Rome. He burned much of Rome. It's thought because he wanted to rebuild Rome. He wanted it to be more elaborate. And so... He burned it and uh, there was a lot of people died. But interestingly, Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome and mass persecutions broke out against Christians. And the reason that it happened is that it didn't take much of a spark to start that fire because the Christians were so maligned and hated anyway and looked at as so strange That wide persecutions started almost immediately. Please note this. Please hear me out. Peter is not saying, Peter is not saying the world hates you as a Christian because you are hateful. I was speaking with a man recently who is away from church, and he is away from church because. He had been treated in a hateful, unloving manner. Peter tells us in this book that we are to live. We are to be the best citizens. We are to be the best husbands. We are to be the best. You are to be the best wives if you are a female. The world doesn't hate you because you're hateful. The world hates you because you are bringing a message that is contrary to the message of this world. Now if, if you think, Lewis, you're, you're going off the deep end here. Uh, in, in relaying this to our day and age. I just want to remind you again, I'm not going to use names here. But um, not too long ago there were some confirmation hearings in front of the Senate. And do you remember that there was a Christian that was... Uh, going through to be confirmed about something, and do you remember what the critique of why they did not want to confirm this position because the Christian dogma is strong in you, <laughs> and when you go back and read what it is they were talking about is that this man believed that salvation came through Jesus Christ alone, and what we see is that his confirmation uh, is was in question of being held up because he held Biblical standards. The basis of our biblical faith. And if he was being told by senators that if you truly want to serve our country, you've got to drop that claim that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised when trials, fiery trials come our way, when persecutions come our way. And I think that, like I said earlier, that many of the reasons why we're surprised is because we've been so blessed that in our country it was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, that those are our foundations. And we need to be glad and rejoice in that. We haven't done it perfectly. And we've always been straying. But I would say in the past 20 years, I've seen in my life that, we've, that this thing is increasing at a pace that's uh, That's insane. Uh, This past week, I was preparing uh, for a wedding of a wonderful young couple. And uh, one of the things, this couple wrote their own vows, but they didn't write their own uh, vows for the exchanging of the rings. And so I did what any good pastor does, is I googled ring vows. I've got a book, but, you know, there's a lot of vows and this sort of thing. So I was like, oh, let's see if I can find something on Google what shocked me, what I wasn't prepared for, were two things that I had to dig through to find some kind of a semblance of vows. And the first thing was this, is that most of the vows that popped up first were written to LGBTQ couples. Or it was at least inclusive. The language was very open and there was no mention of God or, or any of that. The second thing that was interesting was uh, immediately there was all this uh, clickbait on how you could become a minister uh, within the hour in order so you could marry people. And I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> my goodness. You know, this is the world that we're swimming in now. Uh, something that came across my desk last week. Um, John MacArthur's church in California, Grace Bible Church. I don't know if you've uh, heard this, but he... Uh, And the elders, and and I don't agree with everything the elders were saying there and the the outcome and the stance they're taking, but they decided they're going to reconvene as normal. 3,000 people there on Sunday, uh, last Sunday. However, what I want to take note of is that the reason they were taking this stance is that in California, churches were not allowed to gather at all. However, because they were seen as non-essential business, however, marijuana dispensaries... Bars and casinos were seen as essential industries and you could frequent those places, but you could not go into a church. Our culture is adrift. The other thing that I want to point out and, uh, is that, you know, I believe, and there are many Christian thinkers who have been saying this for a while, and I, I really pay attention to this, is that we are now, for the first time, living in a post-Christian society. I mean, you think about it, uh, those of you who are uh, more mature than I am in your age. I mean, I remember the time when uh, 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 in politics, if you were running for president, if you didn't claim to be a Christian, you weren't even going to get on the ballot. You know, I hear I wasn't alive back then, but I hear that JFK got a hard time because he was a Catholic. Now, we're in a much different place. This is a post-Christian society. And this is why when you begin to look at things like some of the discussions that are going on over um, issues with ethnicity. When you look at things that are going on about how do we deal with certain cultural issues in our day and age. This is why it's so difficult for the church to be involved in these discussions. Is because we're starting off from a philosophical um, setting that is not a Judeo-Christian, Christian foundation in order to have these discussions. And so you have to wade into these waters that are so difficult. And that's why, you know, when people have said, hey, will you have a discussion with so-and-so about these issues that are going on? And I say, yeah, if you give me, I need at least two hours. We've got to establish a foundation on where, are we, where we're coming from or I can't have this discussion because one of the things that it recognizes that Postmodern philosophy is the philosophy of the day. We are in a postmodern society. We are no longer, we are no longer, these are my beliefs, in a Christian society. So a Christian in this society is ever increasing at odds with the culture And so these words that Peter have for us, if we're trying to be a Christ follower, if our goal is to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, don't be surprised. And the key to this, and we lose track of this all the time, is that we've got to know that we live in a fallen world. And when we know that we live in a fallen world, a Christ follower, knowing this, is able to diagnose the world rightly. That this world is fallen. It's not what it's supposed to be. A Christ follower is not looking to this world and the people of this world for their satisfaction. Because we live in a fallen world, a Christ follower is looking towards Jesus as our aim and our goal. And what we want to be. Because in a fallen world, I just want to point out a couple of things. In a fallen world, evil, sin, and Satan reign. And every one of those things is anti Jesus, right? Satan is anti Jesus. Sin is anti Jesus. And it's anti the gospel. And so if we are Christ followers, if we are gospel people, that the power of this world is against us. And the second thing that we see is that if this world is a fallen world, that the people and the institutions of this world are also against the gospel and against the people of Christ. So, the conclusion, thirdly, there will be suffering. There will be suffering. Persecutions, so Christians don't be surprised. So now you're saying, Thanks, Lewis, we feel very encouraged. And so, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Peter says, Don't be surprised, rejoice. Don't be surprised, rejoice. And so the question becomes, how? How? How does this lead to rejoicing? How can this lead to Christians in this world, Christ followers in this world that is so anti-Christ, anti-the gospel? How can this lead for us to be a rejoicing people? And we're going to start this week and there, for the next several weeks at least next week, we're going to see more implications of how we do this. We're going to unpack it. But the first thing that I want you to see from this text is that we can be and should be a rejoicing people because God is doing something magnificent. He is doing something beautiful. He's creating something that is marvelous during these persecutions. Let's, let's unpack Uh, verse 12 a little more so that you can see where I get this. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Now, what's interesting here is this word for fiery ordeal um, is is the word that is used for that we've talked about. And this should all of a sudden should you're you're, if you've been with us, your memory should start making connections and you you may get ahead and know where we're going. But this thing is. Proven by fire, fiery ordeals, a refiner's fire. The whole idea that we've talked about, that this fiery ordeal, this this purification of metal, where the the fiery ordeal comes and it burns away things. And so he says, don't be surprised when this fiery ordeal comes. And then the next phrase takes us right where we are supposed to go. Notice this, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes. Comes among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Do you remember in chapter 1 when we talked about this? Notice the similarity in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what we see is that we are to rejoice because as this fiery ordeal comes, one of the things that's happening is that you are being purified. You are becoming more like Christ. And if Christ is your treasure and this is the goal of your life, then as these things come and these things are happening to you, you can rejoice because you're becoming more like your Savior. And your Heavenly Father looks at you and says, you are becoming more like my Son, Jesus. And we can greatly rejoice in this. I think this is just a wonderful truth if it's our goal to be like Christ if he is our treasure then we follow him and it burns away those in impurity think about it this way think about it this way so think about being persecuted for your faith and think about if one of the impurities in your life is that think if an idol if an obstacle in your life is that you Love your reputation. And that that just means more to you than it should. What happens when you're persecuted for being a Christian? The reliance on your reputation is burned away. And you don't fall on your face. What's propped in there is that you are a loved child of God. No longer are you serving that idol, but you can rejoice. You can rejoice because the impurity, the idol is burned away, whether that's reputation, position, money, comfort, whatever. And your goal in those things being burned away, all of a sudden what? What what just catches on in your soul is that you want to be more and more like Christ and more and more displaying Him to the world. And this becomes the joy of your life. Notice the word that I skipped in the very beginning, which is so important in verse 12. Beloved. Do you see that word? Beloved. (laughs) Loved friend of God. This is not, this is not a punitive measure by God. This is God loving His people by giving them what they need most. And that is conforming them to the image of His Son. And we said, the first point here is that God is doing something. Look at the last phrase in this verse. As though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised at the fire of your door. As though something strange were happening to you. In the original language. uh, A a way to. This is probably translated better. Is don't be surprised. As if things were happening by chance. The verb there. uh, Leans more in that direction. Don't be surprised as if things were happening. By chance. That God is at work in you. In verses that we have gone to. And. And I want to go back to, uh, and this is, if you're a student of the Word, you know where I'm going. In Romans chapter five, verses three through five, notice the words here. Notice the same theme in Paul. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who given to us. And also in the book of James. In the book of James we are told, sorry I lost my place here, but in the book of James uh, we see the same theme in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. That we can rejoice because in the midst of trials God is doing something. He is making us more like Him. Then notice the second thing here. And and this is fantastic. Look at verse 13. And there's a phrase here at the beginning of verse 13 that I just haven't really gotten over all week. So we said the skeleton is, do not be surprised, but rejoice. Notice verse 13. But, notice this phrase, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. What in the world is Peter talking about? That you share in the sufferings of Christ. This is not talking about the atonement. You know what I mean by that. So that when he's talking about you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ, you, me, we don't atone for other people's sins. That's not what Peter's talking about. Peter is simply talking about when you suffer like he suffered in this world to the degree that you are doing that keep on rejoicing this is the ultimate what would jesus do living in a way that is countercultural that we're loving when we're loving people in a radical manner we're lovingly standing on truth we're lovingly living out and proclaiming the gospel we're lovingly laying out the hope Laying out hope to the dying world. Sinners in need of a Savior. And so, as we are doing that. Peter tells us that as we're doing that. That we will suffer because we're coming against the culture. And to the degree that you're displaying Christ to the world. That you're living as He lived. As you're becoming little Christ. You have much reason for rejoicing. And this is not. This is not an odd concept in the Bible. Many of you may know and remember. As you've, if you've read through the book of Acts. That, um, that as, as some of the apostles were put in prison. For proclaiming the gospel. And then they were released. And uh, they were told um, Uh, don't preach the gospel anymore. And they said, we're going to follow God, not you. And do you know what the statement was in the book of Acts? That they rejoiced. Why did they rejoice? Because they were counted as worthy to suffer. Over and over in the New Testament, Paul talks about the joy and his rejoicing and being counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. In Luke chapter six, verse twenty-six, uh, in the woe section of the of the Bible, of Jesus' speech, there he says, "Woe to you when people do what? Speak well of you." In Matthew chapter five, verses eleven through twelve, in the Beatitudes. Let's read that one together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. On the lips of our Savior. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Notice these words. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so as we close, one of the things that I want you to take note of in this text is that word that Jesus used it's that is it's recorded on the lips of Jesus in Matthew 5. Rejoice and be glad. That same phrase, those same root words are used here in verse 13 where it says keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. And the point here is that you may rejoice with exceeding rejoicing. Um, how many of you are Dave Ramsey fans? I had more in the first service and there weren't as many people. D- great. Dave Ramsey's great. One of the phrases he uses, and we can debate the merit of this phrase, um, we can debate the merit of this phrase, but he says, uh, live, "Live, now live like no one else so that later... Uh, You aren't very good Dave Ramsey fans. You can live like no one else. So what he's saying is pinch a penny now so that later you can uh, enjoy the fruits of your labor. Now we can debate that. What I do want to point to, and these are the words of Peter over and over in this letter, is not only can we rejoice now and that we should be rejoicing now, but notice this, he says rejoice now so that, so that when you finally meet your Savior face to face on the day of reckoning at the revelation of His glory, that you may rejoice like no one else. And to some, these words might sound strange because of the way that it said, Rejoice now, keep on rejoicing, so that you may rejoice later. And you may say, Lewis, what in the world is happening here? And I think it's actually pretty easy. And what it is saying is simply this. If Christ is your treasure. If the goal of your life is to be a Christ follower and become more like your savior. Then as you are doing that, you are going to rejoice because God is doing that in you. And he is creating in you this Wonderful thing. And you're becoming more like His Son. And you are rejoicing in that. And if you rejoice in Christ as your treasure. Then it proves that your faith is real. And that one day. One day. You will rejoice like no one else. Because you will receive the reward. The end of your faith. Glory with your Lord forever. And there are not words to describe. What that day will be like. So Peter isn't simply saying delayed gratification. What Peter is saying is that there is joy in rejoicing now in becoming more like your Savior, but oh, you just wait. (laughs) You just wait. One of the things that I think of often I think of my parents often, um, my, my mom and dad. My, my mother, um, she may love Jesus more than anybody that I know. Uh, we were talking yesterday about, you know, my mother has Alzheimer's and um, she's doing well, and uh, one of the things that, uh, that we've done to just kind of help her out, help her and my dad out, is that the, uh, there's somebody who comes in just to help with daily tasks, cleaning and things, and uh, by golly, If somebody comes into that house, they are hearing the message of Christ. And this newest helper uh, came to know the Lord about three or four uh, weeks or a month or two ago. You can set my, you can, you know, I love it when my mom goes to the doctor, she goes to the cleaners, wherever she goes, because if she's got a captive audience, you're going to hear about her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because she loves him so much and cannot speak about him without tears of joy And cannot wait to meet him face to face. My dad often has told me stories of uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, There was a joke in our... It was true. Every time my dad went out of town on a mission trip, um, uh, the dog got ran over by a car and died. The, The washing machine went out. I broke my arm. I broke my foot. You know, there were just calamities everywhere. Uh, But dad would come back with these stories that just have imprinted me and and imprinted my life. And the stories, the two in particular, were as he spent time in the Philippines and in Russia uh, and spent time ministering to ministers, particularly in the Philippines, this stands out to me, um, that these pastors um, in the Philippines would spend hours and days uh, walking uh, doing whatever they could to get to these pastors' conferences. And it wasn't easy because there were still leftover uh, wings of the Communist Party that were looking to hunt down pastors and Christians and to kill them. And so, uh, as Dad would be telling me these stories, in my little mind, I would be thinking like, oh, that's so awful. And then he would tell me these men and the joy that they had. Because they were counted worthy, worthy to be a Christ follower. They were counted worthy to carry the message of our Savior to a people who were dying in their sins. They were counted worthy of being countercultural, even to the point of it costing them their life. And Dad would talk about the joy that was in these men for being able to come and to gather together and to talk about their Savior and then to take it back. And he would talk about wondering and not knowing. And back then there was no social media, no cell phones, this sort of thing. But not knowing if they would make it back. What I want to tell you, brother and sister, is that if we are too tied to this world, if our joy just comes from this world, If our idols are wrapped up in this world, if we're not desiring to be a Christ follower, if that's not our goal, if Jesus isn't our treasure, this message isn't going to make any sense. And what I'm getting ready to tell you definitely won't make any sense. I was reminded of Polycarp, a church father. When he was 86 years old, he was asked to to curse Christ or face the consequences, consequences which was martyrdom. Listen to this quote. Eighty six years I've served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Some of you may be saying, What do you mean he never did you any wrong? You're getting ready to be killed. Here we see a man who is rejoicing and he doesn't see this persecution as wrong. He sees his king who has saved him and who is saving him. And then when he was tied to the stake. And and this is not a quick, easy death, but as he's tied to the stake, here's what he prayed. And again, notice what some may view as irony here. Receive me as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. Counting it all joy. He never did me any wrong. I am rich. May he find me acceptable. So my question to you is. The question to myself all week has been. Will you follow him? Not out of guilt, not out of the other things that we get some pastors lay on you to follow Christ, but will you see him as your treasure? Will you see him as your joy? Will you see him as your king and will you follow him? And as your pastor, as your pastor, and in myself, as I have inner dialogue, I want to take these words of Peter seriously. Because if you choose to follow him, Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes. But rather, rejoice. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we would be a rejoicing people. God, I pray that I would be a person who rejoices in being more conformed to the image of Your Son, knowing that that comes through persecution, knowing that that comes through fiery ordeals and trials. Knowing that being more and more like your son means I'm more and more look differently than what the culture around me looks like. God, I pray that we would be a people who rejoices in this. God, I pray as we look in the next at least week or so more into this, that you would just grow in us and make us a people that look more like your son, Jesus. And that I pray that our gatherings here as we come together looking more like your son, that these halls over the internet and our talking together, that there would be great rejoicing. Great rejoicing. In knowing that we are loved by you. And that we've been counted worthy of being changed into the image of your son. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Like I said in the...